Why? Uh, it was supposed to rain from 8 to 9, so, all right. Uh, I have a few announcements before we get going. Uh, number one, we have a concert here tonight at 7 o'clock. Thanks to Phil Wickham for organizing that. It's a fundraiser for Parkway, uh, so you can give cash, check, or e-transfer to Pastor Dusty. Uh, number two, we have the baby bottle campaign. So there's a really big baby bottle in the lobby. You can put your change and cash in there. Uh, it's a fundraiser for Kingston Pregnancy Care Center, and we're part of a broader fundraiser. It's not just us, but they're hoping to raise $25,000. So if you have any silver dollars, now's the time. <laughs> um, and another announcement, celebrate recovery. Uh, we have an open share on Zoom, so it's, uh, it's a great time. If you can make it, you should. Uh, and it's on Zoom, so it's pretty easy to drive there. Um, it's, it's a good time. So that's Monday nights. So you can talk to Brenda Vale or Pastor Bird about that. Um, and very important, next Tuesday, May 24th, is the local church conference here, Tuesday night in the sanctuary at 7 p.m. Uh, we're going to do our annual business meeting. Members can vote, and we'll be reviewing last year's very exciting reports because I wrote a few of them. So I'm very excited about those. <laughs> um, and we'll be getting some new nominees for the board and the trustees and delegates to district conference in June. So that'll be good. Um, I don't know if you're tied into our Bible reading plan. It's, it's really good. If you haven't tried it yet, they're in the lobby. It's just a half page of paper that Pastor Burt put together for us that we can be reading all the same thing all together. Uh, and I keep joking that it keeps us literally on the same page, and it does. But it, it's so good uh, to be reading the Word together and to be reading it systematically. Uh, we came out of the Methodist movement as Wesleyans, and that was a, a slight they came up with against the Methodists, that they were just so systematic in their love for God. That, that was somehow, I don't know, name-calling? I feel like someone calling us really smart and thinking it would be offensive. I don't know. But we could get back to our Methodist roots in our Bible reading. And I was reading this week, uh, Samuel, when he was ministering to God, uh, he rested in, in the most holy place where the ark was. That was where he laid down at night. Um, that's, that's interesting, that he would choose to be in God's presence and call it rest. Uh, but right now, you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not a building. Um, so where do you find rest? We're here today on the Sabbath, the, the day of sitting for God's glory. So good work, everyone. Um, but Jesus promised that if we come to him, we will find rest. So where is your heart this morning? Come to Jesus now. And what is your mind attending to? Because he was in the temple not just to sleep. He was a minister of God. So he found his rest in God's presence, and he spent his days looking after God. Um, so let's attend to God this morning. Let's focus our hearts on him because he is here and we get to sing to him all together. So, Pastor Bird. Thank you, Pastor Brock. Why don't we all stand together and I want to say welcome to those of you at home as well. I understand we're live streaming and maybe you're there in your kitchen or living room or you could be driving your car. Make sure that the passenger is holding the camera. Um, Lord bless you. I was thinking about when we gather like this, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. You might be a guest with us today, and so I hope that you're able to enter into and allow us to worship the Lord as He has called us to do. 
Uh, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So look around at your neighbors there. The Bible says to love one another deeply. Hmm. How do we do that? To have affection for one another. Because we are children of the King. If you've received and you've believed, according to John, you've been given the right to be called a child of God. Hallelujah. In the second service today, and I'm sorry it's not this one, but uh, we're going to be doing another baptism. It's interesting how it has, has continued. A gentleman that does not go to our church, but doesn't, has no one where to be baptized. A 70-year-old who's had a marvelous conversion to Christ in these last few months is going to be baptized today. And that's what it's all about. You may be here and you're searching. God is the answer. Jesus is the answer. We're going to sing this song and the, uh, the chorus just says, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. God loves you so much. Let's be amazed in the presence of Jesus. Alright, you ready to sing? Amen. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner. We're going to the second verse. The second verse. I it was in the garden. Sing that again to me. Oh, oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. In pity, angels behave. Verse number four, he took my sins and my sorrows, he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Oh, how marvelous! Summed in glory, his face I at last shall see. Will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love. Hallelujah! Oh, oh, how marvelous! Oh, how wonderful! And my soul shall ever 
shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Amen. Listen, that's expressing the joy of the Lord when we come to an understanding of what He's done for us, right? The joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's sing this together. Again. An endless song to the Lord. There is an endless
that it would connect from our minds to our hearts and just set us ablaze with an understanding of how valuable we are to you. We give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. Amen. Uh, I'd like to invite us to pray for a moment, and we're going to continue to sing to God. Um, I heard a very interesting quote from our own Pastor Durling. Uh, he said, praise is prayer. Um, and it, it's kind of a simple sentence and uh, easy to understand, but it, it blew my mind when I heard it, that praise is prayer. To praise God is to speak to Him, uh, and it's to give Him thanks. So we have been praying since we started to sing, but I want to direct us in a prayer at this time. Uh, I want to remind you of your status, that you are clean before God. And I don't know if you're aware of that. Um, I, I got to go camping again this past weekend, and I came home very dirty and sticky. Uh, I was coated in bug spray. I think you could have scraped it off. And it was very dusty and I was grimy. I washed the dog and just saw brown water pour out of him. And I was thinking of how dirty that was and how little I would like to sit on a guest couch at the time. Um, and I, I wasn't clean. Uh, but Jesus has made you clean. I don't know if that's in your mind at this moment. Um, but because he died on the cross, we can come before him confident that we are accepted, confident that we are pleasant to be in his presence, that he is pleased that we're there. We are not a little bit stinky and off that we've been working all day. He's, he's happy to be with us. Um, our worship is a, a fragrant offering. He likes the way it smells. I don't know if you smell like barbecue or cinnamon, um, but he likes that you're here. Um, so with that in mind, that Jesus makes the way for us. Maybe there's something you need to wash off of your heart right now uh, to come before him. I think of Peter, um, that Peter, at, at an opportunity he saw, I think it was a baptism, he said, Lord, would you wash all of me? He said, no, you don't need to be fully washed. You're already pretty clean. You just need to kind of wash your hands, right? You can just wash your hands. You don't have to shower every time. But maybe there's something in your heart that you need to deal with God, and I invite you to do so now. Um, he doesn't want us to come dirty. He also doesn't want to neglect our coming or to delay. There's nothing more important, and we need to come clean, and he's made a way for us to come clean. So let's come before him. Let's turn to him. Let's focus on him. Um, I think our culture does a good job at remembering ourselves and thinking about how I appear. Um, but in God's presence, we are invited and encouraged to forget about ourselves. That he is not, or that he is the focus, not my appearance. Don't consider your neighbor, or your appearance, or your needs. Um, but we are here now to minister to God. And we're going to get to sing to him, we're going to get to hear him speak to us, and we get to listen to what he'll say. 
Let's minister to God this morning. He desires obedience, not sacrifice. I don't know what that means for you this morning, but he wants you to do what he says. Uh, what's he asking you to do right now? Uh, he might ask you to sing. He might ask you to pray. Uh, I remember in high school, I thought, man, I am, I'm tired of doing what I want. I'm only going to do what, I, what God wants me to do. And I got up in the morning and I prayed, God, what do you want me to do today? He said, go to school. Oh. <laughs> okay, I can do that. I was going to do that anyway, but it feels way better to do it because he told me to than because I wanted to. So I don't know what God wants you to do right now, but you should ask him, and then you should do that thing. Uh, and it could be the thing that you always do, which is good if you always do good, but do it for God because he told you to. Uh, so we're going to pray, and we're going to wait on him. Uh, what does he want? Does he want refreshing? Um, is there something that you can think of that he should be thanked for at this time? Is there some I, part of who he is that you want to remind him of, that you feel like he, it would be good for him to hear that he is amazing today, or that he's the healer, or he's my rescuer, my provider? Maybe he's asking you to be silent right now. Um, there is a huge, broad, accepted path of experiencing God in our, our church, in our tradition, in our faith. You can sit, you can stand. Um, it's very normal in the Bible to lay on your face. Uh, I don't know if our sloped floor is very conducive to that, but whatever he wants from you, if he wants you to shout, if he wants you to be silent, should you stand before him, ready to do whatever he asks? Maybe you should be reclining like John the Beloved at the Last Supper, that he was just leaning on Jesus. Let's minister to God. Let's pray. Let's sing to him. Um, and then in a moment, Pastor Bert will come back up and lead us in some more songs. But let's, let's do business with, with God in our own hearts that we can be pure and one all together. Let's pray. And I'll close in prayer. Jesus, you said, if we abide in you, we will bear much fruit. And apart from you, we can't do anything. So God, we've prepared this service, these songs, these words, this time uh, for you. So would you come and fill them now? Fill us now? We do all this to make space for you. So please, God, come fill it. Uh, it is useless and empty without you. And in you, there is fullness of joy. So God, we give you this time again, fresh. We give you our hearts, we give you ourselves. God, would you come and fill us with your life that we could be uh, fresh fruit to those around us. We love you, God. 
come and let us experience you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you remain seated for a little bit while we stand up up here. Can we do that? Let's, um, we, we've sung this before, but let's nevertheless get the praise of the chorus in our hearts, in our minds, okay? Holy, holy Lord God Almighty, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, highest praise and honor and stand together this morning.
lamb who was slain. Highest praises, honor, and glory be unto your last time be unto your name you maybe sit down stay standing we're going to just enter into a simple beautiful song of praise we'll let the choir sing it here a little bit for you and just uh enter into it today. Something that Brock said at the beginning, and uh, it's, it's quite profound. Uh, when, we, when we praise, we're praying. You know, we've been asking the question, what does it mean to be a praying people? What does it mean to be a praying people? What does that mean? When we praise, we are praying. When we pray, we are praying. Lord deserves our praise. So let's just enter into this. with us. 
sing it again. Doesn't it make complete sense? The statement that Brock started with that I reiterated. When we praise, we're praying. Doesn't it make complete sense? Just pray. We're praying to our God this morning. Let's sing away from the top. Worship the Lord. Lord, I come to you today with a simple prayer to pray in everything I do let my life Oh, Lord, praise you. Lord, you formed me out of clay, and for your glory I was God. Thank you, Lord God. May our lives praise you. May our life be a prayer to you. May our Monday mornings be a prayer to you. May our Tuesday mornings be a prayer to you as we offer up ourselves. We hardly know how to do this, God, except to walk with you. 
moment by moment in surrendering this to you. I ask that you would help us to begin to ask your great love for us, what you have planned for us in our weakness and our frailty. God, as the word tells us, we are but dust, and yet you sent your son to die for us. And we give you praise. We stand in awe of you today. We are so honored to be in your presence today. Help us, God, to learn what it means to make our life a prayer to you. We give you our praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have kids' program in the gym. So if kids and guardians want to head there, you can do that. This is why you always print a backup of your notes. My uh, preaching professor in college, he always used to just tuck his notes in his Bible, and whoever came up to do the announcements just scooped up everything and walked away with his notes to the kids' ministry, and uh, he didn't have any. So after that week, um, he always had one in his Bible and one in his pocket, so... So, it is Sunday, and we're here to hear from God. We have ministered to him, we have encountered him in worship, and I want to talk to you about what he has for us, um, starting in like 20 minutes, what you're going to do for the rest of your week. Um, I've been studying about discipleship this uh, past winter and spring. Pastor Burton and I were invited uh, there's this author guy in the States. He's a pastor, John Weist, West, W-I-E-S-T. I've never heard him pronounce his own last name, so I don't, I don't know his name. Um, but he's uh, an author. He wrote the book Banding Together. It's kind of where this uh, Bible reading plan started from. And uh, we've had the privilege of hearing him teach about how he makes disciples uh, every three weeks for uh, like five months. So it's been really encouraging to hear him talk about this. He is a wonderful disciple maker. Um, he's, he's taken, I think, over a thousand people from far from God to mature Christians. It, he's really good at this, and we're trying to learn how to do it because you and I, we are called to make disciples. Um, so we've been meeting with this guy, John, and Dr. Hallett. He's the district superintendent, so he's kind of Pastor Burt's boss. He looks after all the Wesleyan churches for Ontario. Um, yeah. So I've got about six hours of teaching from this man uh, who has his, he's getting his doctorate in history and biblical stuff. And I'm going to try and condense his teaching that he condensed to six hours into 25 minutes. So it's going to be good. Um, so this guy, John, his big study was, how did Jesus make disciples? How did, how did he do it? And he did it in a variety of spaces. Um, he did different things in different spaces. So we are commanded to make disciples. Uh, that's Matthew 28. That you, you and I should be doing that every day, every week. 
That's what we're about. We make disciples. But how do you do it? Well, Jesus did it in five spaces. And in each different space, he did different things. Which we intuitively understand a, a group of 100 people is not a great space to do accountability. It would take the whole week for everyone to share at length about how they're doing. It's, it's just not conducive to that. So what are these five spaces? And how do they work? Um, so the five spaces, I think they're on the screen. And I made a handout that I didn't hit print on. So maybe I'll get that. I do. Uh, so maybe second service will get that. And maybe you, if you want to take notes, can use the back of the bulletin. It's really nice. It had lots of blanks. And it was good. It is good. It still exists. It's just not in your hands. Anyway, the five spaces of discipleship. From biggest to smallest, um, there's public, there's social, personal, transparent, and solitary. Uh, so those are the five spaces. Uh, and I think the goal of life, um, I might be wrong, but no one's been able to prove me wrong yet. Uh, I think the goal of life is that we are good at the solitary space. Because you and I are headed to heaven to spend eternity with God. And we need to be good at this solitary space of me and Jesus. I know how to talk to him. Uh, and I think if we are good in that space, it will overflow into all the others. Um, that we would be able to be a pleasant person. Um, I don't know if you know very many people who are really spiritual and pray a lot and know God, but they're also kind of crusty. Um, I find that kind of ironic. How, how can this be? You're with the most gracious man in the world. His name's Jesus. And you're still cantankerous. I don't, I don't get it. But that's not our goal. Our goal is to be like Jesus and to spend time with him. And I think as we do that, we will, in every way, bring other people closer to him in all the other spaces. So each layer we go down in this list, it gets smaller. And I think the growth gets deeper and more personal and stronger. Uh, but that's not to say that the bigger spaces are bad. Uh, you need to have, it's kind of like a funnel. You need the wide part of the funnel to make the bottom part of the funnel work. Otherwise, it's just a straw. And that's it's not very helpful for pouring. Um, so all the spaces are good. I, I struggle with that. There are some spaces that I'm predisposed to and I really like. Um, and there are some that I'm like, wow, I'm okay if, if I don't go in that one. And I think that means I need to grow. Um, he has some very clear lines John West came up with uh, about how big these spaces are, and I think they blur some. But I think we can agree that today is not a small group, right? This is not a, a Bible study where we're all going to stand up and share. Um, they're, they're different spaces. So the lines can blur, but I think when we try to get the, the best of two different spaces at once, it will just kind of stretch one way or the other but you, you can't camp on the line. Does that make sense? So we're gonna go over each space. Uh, John West came up with this kind of quippy definition that helps me remember them, and I hope it helps you. How many people are in that space and what it's for? So uh, the first space is public, and he said it's my network. Um, so I don't know how many people are here today. Our counter hasn't counted yet, but I'm guessing we're under 100. Um, which makes this a, a different space, because we're treating it like it's public, but we're kind of the social space. So my network, it's hundreds of people, lots, lots and lots. And in a crowd of 100 people, you don't notice when someone's missing, right? It's interesting, when we were having like 60-person services, Pastor Bert and I could remember from Sunday 
oh yeah, so-and-so was here, and they weren't, and this person was. Because you can look around and get a sense of, yeah, they're here, and those ones aren't. And maybe it's just my memory, but as soon as it's over 80, I, it's just a crowd. And I know your faces right now, but Monday morning, can I remember? No. Uh, it, it's too big. It's too many. Um, but this, this big crowd allows for kind of an attractional style. Um, things can be vague. Things can be encouraging spiritually. Uh, and Jesus used it as a taste to see who's interested. So like the best use case of this public space is what we're doing right now. Uh, hearing and teaching and preaching about the Bible um, to a lot of people. It's a great space to worship. It's great to be part of something big. I don't know if you sensed uh, a transcendent moment in worship today that it wasn't just you singing to God, but we were. And that happens best, I find, in a larger group. I don't have very many transcendent worship moments with three people. Um, it, it's just that there's maybe not enough of us uh, to kind of push together. Um, so the public, it's great for worship. It's great for hearing about scripture. Um, it's great to be part of something big beyond me and my, my family, be, me and my people. It's a bit of a mob. Um, it's not so much persons, but we become the crowd, we become the body, that we become the bride of Christ, that we are all together. I don't know if you feel connected with the people across the room right now, um, but we are all together. Uh, and this, my network, it's this idea of a net. If you can think of like a fishing net right now, all the strands aren't connected to all the strands. Um, this one is parallel to this one, and they'll, they'll never meet, and that's okay, because together they can accomplish something more than they can as individuals. Does that make sense? So this, this public space, we're part of something bigger. Um, that was a long time. We're going to go faster. <laughs> uh, space number two, social. It's me and my church. These are the people, um, like I was saying, when, it's, when there's 60 or 70 people here, you, you know who's here. You, you kind of know everyone's face. You maybe, if you've been around long enough, know their life, you know how they're doing vaguely. You can be aware of that many people in your life. Um, it, it's kind of fun. My mom has that many cousins. Um, so she is aware of all of their life. And it was very odd. We went to a family reunion when I was in college. And they saw on Facebook what I had for breakfast the other day. And they were asking me about it, and I didn't remember their name. Um, but I was part of their social space, that they were connected to me. And this is kind of when church relationships can get interesting, that you can be closer to someone than they are to you. And good luck sorting that out. It's really fun. Um, huh. But an interesting thing West observed in this social space, people tend to stand 4 to 12 feet apart. If we were just standing up all together right now, milling around, uh, you would feel a little bit far from someone if you were double social distanced, right? Uh, but if someone who didn't come in your car is sitting within four feet of you, it's like, well, you're, you're a little close. Can, can we put one more chair between us? Um, it's, it's a social space. Uh, we notice when someone's missing, it's still a great space to hear the word and to worship but it allows for more individuality. Um, 
So if you think about like when we've had our baptisms here, we give an opportunity for people to stand up and encourage someone. Uh, we often ask for prayer requests and praise reports. And because we are just under 100-ish, it's easy for people to stand up and just use a big voice and everyone can hear. Um, I think at the feeding of the 5,000, you couldn't do that, right? And we, we can kind of understand that. Um, so it's, it's this funny space between 20 and 70 that allows for some interaction. Uh, it's more of like a classroom feel that you can interact and interject. Um, it's still probably a little structured. Uh, and I, I have a hard time differentiating between public and social. Public is the, the mass, the crowd, and social is still, still kind of crowd. Maybe it's my introversion that I say it's still just a lot of people. Um, space number three, where De Jesus did discipleship, is personal. Me and my people. So it's like four to twelve people. Um, and these, it's interesting, this crowd stands one to four feet apart. I don't know where you fall in that spectrum. I had a very tall Danish friend. He was six foot eight. Um, and we called him the Great Dane because he's huge. Um, and his idea of personal space is one foot apart. So I'd be standing here looking up at a meal, and he would be standing here looking down at me. And I would often take a step back, and he would take a step towards me. And I'd take a step back, and he'd take a step towards me. And we just did laps around the sanctuary. Um, but somewhere in that one to four feet. And it's interesting how we can all have different definitions of what's close and what's far. Uh, someone might want to stand right next to you. Uh, I don't know if it's old age, but my eyes can't focus on anything closer than a foot. Um, so if someone wants to stand really close to me, I can't see them. <laughs> but it's interesting, in this personal space, you are close enough to someone that you can see all of their faults, physically and relationally. Um, it's hard to know what someone's shortcomings are in a group like this right now. We're all just mildly friendly faces sitting politely engaging with God. In a, in a personal space, if there's just four or a dozen people there, um, it's, it starts to become more apparent what someone's faults are. Uh, it also lends to more free-flowing and organic discussions and ideas. Uh, I don't know if you have any friends who bring a script to a coffee. There's three of you hanging out, or five of you hanging out, and they, they bring a script of what they're going to say. I brought one, so we can finish before lunch, but uh, this needs to be a little structured. It, it's odd if your personal space is highly structured with a, a time flow and an order. I, I had a hard time. I don't know. Maybe there just wasn't that critical mass that there was enough voices that I can sing loud, but uh, I can have a big voice, and feel awkward singing really loud in a room of a few people. Uh, anyway, it's a great place for learning. It's a great place for doing life together. You can share praise reports and prayer requests. It can allow for deeper explanations than larger gatherings. It, it allows for interjection and interruptions and clarifications um, that just don't really work here. Uh, I love teaching and I would kind of prefer you guys just shout out if I mispronounce or say the wrong Bible reference or you don't understand something. But it gets a little chaotic if there's 100 people here and everyone's asking questions all at once. Um, so maybe the personal space is my default. Uh, but the fourth space, the transparent, 
Uh, Wes calls it me and a few, like two, two to four people. So uh, think of like an accountability group, like you and your accountability partner, but maybe their accountability partner is someone else, and their accountability partner is someone else, and you're that person's. But any more than four, and it's, uh, it gets a little bit less private. There's this thing in uh, anthropology, it's called social contracts, that we haven't made a verbal agreement today that the stories I tell, you're allowed to tell people. Uh, but you all feel fairly safe that because I was saying it into a microphone, onto the internet, it's public information. But if I were to tell you something quietly in a corner after service, you might be a little bit more hesitant to share that, right? That, that, that maybe that was private information, and depending how uh, personal it is, maybe you wouldn't share that freely with your coworker at work. Um, so that's, that's just a social contract, and this personal space makes it a little fuzzy of, well, they said it with 10 people there. Am I allowed to tell my spouse? What about my best friend? What about my accountability partner? It gets a little dicey of how far does it stay behind closed doors. But the transparent space, it's, it's pretty clear to me that what's said there is private. It's also interesting, um, he said that this is the, uh, the immediate space where Emil loves to live, right in your face. And when someone's that close, it's too close to see their faults. It's a space for confession, for accountability, it's not a great space for teaching. Can you imagine if I spent my week meeting with each of you for 40 minutes to read my sermon to you individually? It'd be a long week. The last one would probably be really good or really bad. Um, but this transparent space for me and a few. Uh, if you met up with a friend uh, during the week, imagine if they were to talk for 30 minutes and you never got to give a word. I don't know if you have friends like that. It's meant to be very conversational in this small space with lots of opportunity to interact, kind of the opposite of the public space. And it's really good. And the last space, solitary. Um, in, in some old books, they call it the divine space, which feels a little arrogant. Like my degree, I have a master's of divinity. I feel like we need to come up with some new pastoral degree terms. I have not mastered the divine. I studied it for a bit. Um, <laughs> and then the next degree I can get is called a doctorate of ministry, which they abbreviate to a D-min. Should have thought that through. Um, but yeah, side note. So we call it the solitary space. Some old books call it the divine space. But it's your time alone with God. It's your devotions, your personal prayer, fasting, worship, retreats, all of those things that I hope we're engaging with. So those are the five spaces. I, I feel like maybe we can conceptually grasp them. I'd like to run you through a couple ways that Jesus and other people in the Bible used them to make disciples. Because remember, all spaces are good. They're all necessary. And we need to be engaging with them. So public space. Uh, Jesus, he fed the 5,000. That was not an accountability meeting. Uh, it, was, it was a very big space, uh, very shallow. And it was given to make see how the people are interested. And a bunch of them came for the food, and they thought, wow, that was a good talk. And then they went home, and they never followed him. Uh, it's, it's meant to be the very lip of the funnel, the public space. Think the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, there was hundreds, maybe thousands of people there. They came to hear, and Jesus spoke in parables and axioms and principles. 
And he gave some very clear, maybe harsh directions too, uh, about sin. Think Matthew 6. Um, but it's kind of this testing the waters. How committed are you? You've, you've entered the doors. Do you want to come any closer? Do you want to come any farther? Um, so West says the public space, it's often full of parables. Um, also think of Pentecost in the, uh, the upper room with like the 120 that were gathered there to pray together. That, that would be a very different prayer meeting. And they were gathered for a long time. So that's Acts 1, 15 and 2, 1. It talks about that. And then right after this, Peter's sermon at Pentecost, it was, it was a very much a public space. He got up in front of a crowd and spoke to them and called them to response. So that's, that's what this public space does in Scripture. Social space, um, we don't have very many passages about Jesus talking about how he did this, but we know he did it. He had his 72 disciples, right, that he sent out. Um, and interestingly enough, this is about the size of a New Testament church. Because uh, they only had houses. Um, it was the official religions that had temples. And when the, Jew, when the Christians weren't welcome at the temple anymore, or after the temple was destroyed, they, uh, the church was forced to gather in houses. Um, so that was the size of this space. And interestingly enough, um, I've often heard it said that when Constantine became the emperor of Rome and made Christian legal. Um, it made the church all watered down. And I, I think maybe, just as I wrote this this week, that maybe he just opened back up the public space that allowed for those Christians or people who are interested in Christ to come and get their miracle, get their 5,000 feeding, and then go home unchanged. That maybe the number of disciples didn't change. Maybe they just had more seats for seekers. But the social space, um, it's a little bit uh, more narrow in the funnel of discipleship. The personal space, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to get to those ones in a minute. Sorry. Uh, the personal space, uh, think the, the 12 disciples. We, we know a lot of how Jesus did this. It was very conversational teaching, and they would go to the public space, and Jesus would tell a parable, and it would be vague and confusing. And the disciples would meet up with Jesus after and be like, hey, what was that one about? And Jesus would tell them that they asked questions, Jesus answered them. It was also a space of uh, very open and blunt discussion that Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die for your sins. And Peter says, no, don't do it. It's very blunt. Can you imagine if someone said that to Pastor Bert on Sunday? during service, they just stood up and openly opposed him. It's not really the place for it. But this, this personal space allows for that kind of bluntness. And then Jesus' very blunt response of, no, get behind me, Satan. I, I can't imagine <laughs> Pastor Bert calling me Satan. <laughs> Staff meeting tomorrow, and I, I don't know if we should do that. He says, stop it, Satan. <laughs> very, very blunt space. Uh, and it allows for a kind of keener edge on discipleship. And then the transparent space. Jesus spoke almost offensively and harshly in these settings. Uh, I think of the Mount of Transfiguration, that they were up there and Peter's like, wow, this is great, we should stay, and God interrupts him and he's like, no, you need to listen, which means, really, Peter, you're talking too much. Again, stop it. 
uh, it was out of intimacy and knowledge of each other that these very deep, maybe seemingly harsh conversations could happen. Uh, it was full discipline, nothing was hidden, and I think it was out of knowledge of intimacy with each other that this harshness is allowed. I think that's the same reason a parent can be more harsh with their child than an aunt or an uncle. Well, I don't know if I know all the details about my niece and nephew. So I don't want to be super harsh in my discipline with them, you know? Like, oh, you won't get ice cream if you don't listen, and mom and dad are like, no, we're leaving. You've been too bad. And it's because of the intimacy of their parents that they can be more full in their discipline. And it could be the same in discipleship. It should be. So we, we've got Jesus um, on the Mount of Transfiguration. We've got him uh, in his greatest moments and his most privacest moments. I'm thinking of Gethsemane. He's inviting him into his, his most glorious times and also his most troubled heart in grief. Um, and he was really real with them there too. He said, guys, I'm having an awful time. Would you come pray with me? And they say, yeah, sure. And then they fall asleep. And he rebukes them. He's like, hey, I thought you were going to pray with me several times, and it's in this transparent space that it allows for a lot of confrontation. I think of other people who are in the transparent space in the Gospels. Uh, Peter and John, they went to the tomb together, or the, the girls, the Marys, they went together. That I, I think they had different conversations than you can have in public along the way. Uh, I think of Paul and Barnabas, Mark and Timothy, that they had uh, a very different relationship uh, a fuller, deeper one. Um, and I think, too, of just kind of a, a passing transparent space. If you think of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, there's this rich guy, uh, and he's just driving his car, reading his Bible, which, imagine imagine that. If you pull up at an intersection, some guy's got his windows down, reading his Bible out loud. And you're like, do you, know, do you know what you're reading? I can explain that to you. Really, please. And then there's a stream, and he says, well, can you baptize me? And yes. And then you get teleported away so you can get to work on time. Um, that, that's what happened to Philip. Um, anyway, that, that's the transparent space in Scripture. And solitary, we know so many times, and I've spoken about it before, that Jesus went to the solitary places to pray. Um, I also think of John when he was on Patmos, when he, he wrote Revelation. It, it said that he was praying in the Spirit on the Sabbath. And I think he was alone because he was a prisoner on a deserted island. I don't know how much company he had there and if he'd want to keep the company of people who are left on a prison island. Um, but Paul also prayed by himself a lot. So this is some biblical examples. We've talked about what it is and some Bible examples, practical uh, these are the next set of slides there, Chris, sorry. What do you do in these spaces? So the public space, I think it's the space that you should hear from and talk to God. That's what you, you're supposed to do this morning. Like, listen to me as much as it's helpful, but talk to God. He wants to talk to you. I've tried to prepare words that will spark conversations with you and him. And we give all of these songs that we can all sing together so we can speak to him. The social space it's a, a great place to hear from one another, to encourage one another, uh, to connect. The personal space, I think, is where a lot of growth happens. A lot of knowledge is transmitted. Uh, we can understand each other's life practices and disciplines and grow together. But the transparent space is where encouragement happens. 
where we can say, oh, I'm still struggling with this. And they can encourage you. And we can encourage each other with what God's speaking to us. And the solitary space is again where we hear from and talk to God. Because I think that's what life is all about. So, I hope you get the framework. You might have to think on it for a while. I really hoped you would have had a note guide that you could go home and think about it. Um, but that is the structure that's taken me six hours to learn. So, 20 minutes, good job. Uh, application though, this is the form, this is the structure, the framework of discipleship, the thing that we are called to do. If this was a ship, those are the sails, if you will. But now the work begins. We have to figure out how to sail in our community. And sails are highly necessary on a, a sailboat, right? But they are useless without the wind. So we need to maintain our sails very well, but we need to put them out in the wind and they're gonna get beaten around and busted up and we'll have to patch them up. Uh, but sails are only good if they're up. They're only good if the wind fills them. The Spirit is the wind of discipleship that actually takes us places. So we have these structures that Jesus used in Scripture to make disciples like he commanded us to do. And then we have to say, God, would you come? This is useless without you. Please come and fill this. Please come and help this person. The sails of discipleship. So, personalize this. Think of you right now in those five spaces. How did you first experience God? Uh, my, one of my most vivid memories of God, I was sitting right where Heather is, maybe one seat that way, uh, and Dusty was preaching, and I felt God speak to me for the first time. Uh, it was, I think I always sat there, because I remember worshiping there, and I don't think it was the same night, and I can remember just the most euphoric experience worshiping, and, and I was hooked. It was this public space that stirred me, I also think uh, I used to go for drives with Lucas a lot, and he was just such an encouraging guy, and we'd be driving, and he'd be telling me what he feels like God has to say for me, and it was, it was more or less just verses from Paul, and he would just quote a verse to me in his own words, and I was so encouraged. Um, he prayed with me, uh, I felt accepted and known, and we were just driving around in his really tiny car. Uh, I can remember my accountability partners and how they prayed with me and helped me overcome and find freedom. Where, where did you experience God first? Um, I've noticed in my conversations with people, whatever they experience God in, they say, that's what the church needs. We really need, if they're a worship leader, they say, we really need public worship. But if they're a Bible study leader, they say, what we really need to get back in the church is small groups. And it's because we need all of them. Um, so I don't know what you're gifted to lead, but we are called to participate in everything. So what do we do? Um, we now have this framework, this biblical grid of how to do things. But we have to discover what it looks like in Roblin. So I'd ask you to pray in these coming weeks, these coming weeks and months, we have to do this. We need to get good at making disciples. It is, it is required by heaven, and it's necessary in our community. community. If you say you follow Jesus, he commands you and me to make disciples. 
This is our purpose. There are no excuses that would be accepted. It's up to us. It's not just me. Pastor Bert and I don't have the capacity, the skill um, to meet with everyone. We are here to equip and encourage you, but we are to make disciples, all of us. We are called to it. God, God commands us. That's an objective thing in Scripture. Uh, a little more closer to home, perhaps, I think Roblin Wesleyan is a church of Lenox. I don't, it's kind of my own idea, but Lenox County is where we are, and it's from the lake to Highway 7. There's 60,000 people here, and we draw people kind of from all over that space. Um, so I feel like that's who God's called us to reach, just vaguely. Um, that's not something that God told me from on high. It's just where do our people come from? Kind of that far. And there's 60,000 people. Um, on any given Sunday, there might be 250 people connected to us. So I did some math. That's about 0.04% of Lennox is connected to us. And that, that breaks my heart. But Roblin isn't the only church. We are not, we're not the only hope of the world. Jesus is. So how many churches are around? I did a, a quick search. I think there's a little more than a dozen. So if every church was doing what we do, I've, I've never been to another church in Napanee in the past 20 years. I, I'm kind of busy on Sundays, so I don't know how they're doing, but let's just assume they're all like us. Maybe they're discipling more, maybe they're doing less, but let's just assume they're discipling us. So a dozen churches brings us up to, we're reaching 5% of Lennox. That makes us a missions field. Um, like, we should be asking more churched places to send people to help us reach our community, which is interesting. I think we should just reach our community because um, nobody knows our people like we do. Um, it, it was very funny. When I lived in South Korea, uh, Kevin had just done the ice bucket challenge and with his tractor bucket and dumped the water on him. And I showed it to some friends there who were from Los Angeles. They weren't Korean. They had English as their first language. And I thought it was so funny. And they couldn't understand what Kevin said. So it's kind of fun. We have our own distinct accent. We have our own distinct culture. And I have to not speak in that accent when I'm teaching in Korea because they couldn't understand me. Um, that I developed an international English accent and a Roblin accent. Uh, it's, it's interesting. So I don't know if we should really ask for missionaries to come here because there's no school of Roblin accent. I don't know how to teach it, I just know they can't understand us. Um, but they understand you, and you already know them. Uh, so we're reaching 5%. That means there's 95%, or 57,000 people that seem to be far from Jesus. And they need you to reach him. Now, 57,000 people, that's, that's too many. That is the definition of overwhelming. Um, it's an enormous task. How can we start? I'm, I'm often reminded of what Dr. Elliot, he runs the Wesleyan Church for Canada, um, and he was my preaching professor, the same guy who lost his notes. Um, he often reminds his students of Matthew 9, 36, that Jesus went and he saw and he had compassion on the crowds. Um, so I don't know who of the 57,000 people God is calling you to disciple. I know he is. 
He wants you to reach them. So I encourage you to find a time to go. Go for a drive to your community. Maybe today on your way home. But as you go, ask God to highlight someone. Maybe it's a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, a family member. But see them and see if God doesn't stir your heart to have compassion for them. That you would have some new love for them. Because um, discipleship is hard. I'm so encouraged by Moses. He had the Israelites, kind of the, the A-team, if you will. And he often prayed, Lord, how long do I have to deal with these stubborn people? Um, so it makes me so happy that my youth are not as bad as the Israelites. They haven't made an idol to a golden calf. But discipleship is hard. And you're going to need some compassion in you to be able to push through. Because the verse right after that, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. There's 57,000 people here right now waiting to hear the good news that God loves them and wants to help them find the John 10.10 full life. And you are those blessed feet that Paul talked about that bear good news. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, but God, ask God to give you ideas of how to make disciples in these five spaces. So, if you've got a pencil, I encourage you right now to think about and write down or do it this week. Who is God calling me to? There's nothing more important than making disciples. It might be your own children, your own family members. But who is God calling me to? We've got to know the answer to that question. Who is your transparent space? Who are your disciples? And then ask, what space could I meet them in? Where could we go? Could I invite them to service? Is there a small group we could start or join? Should we meet for coffee? How can I bring them closer to God this week? Lastly, uh, we really are wrapping up here. Uh, what's the pace of this? 57,000 people going to hell. That is horrifying. How do we even sleep at night? It makes me want to become a worker bee. They don't sleep. They just work for six weeks and then they die. Um, the pace of this is important. Who sets the pace? Uh, and I'm thinking of a marathon, which I've never run. Um, but who, who sets the pace? It's very important to have a pace you follow. And the pace is Jesus. He, he said we should pray that God would send out workers. And if, if you pray that, it's probably going to be you. Um, you're going to be the worker he's going to send out. And that's good. Uh, you get to partner with him. Uh, so he said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the harvest field. That that's some urgency. There's also some urgency that he said, I come soon. And he, he didn't lie. He's coming back soon, and we need to live like that. That there's a real hope that I might not have to get old before I go to heaven. That'd be great if I could just keep my 30-year-old knees and go to heaven and have a new body. I'd love that. I don't know when soon is. I don't know how much time I have. I don't know how much time you have. I don't know how much time the world has. And we need to live like that, as it's exciting and it's hopeful and it's true. But in the tension of send out workers and I'm coming soon, he also said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I don't know if you're weary with something else, but I would love to be weary with the work he told me to do. So we need to pace ourselves, but not that we set the pace, but that Jesus does. 
If we go too fast, we'll tire out. If we're too slow, we won't finish. We won't get far enough. What breaks are okay in ministry? What, what's a distraction or a hindrance or a help? I don't know. He does. You should talk to him. So discern and question. How do we avoid haste but hold on to urgency? Would you pray with me in closing? Jesus, you're coming soon. So God, would you teach us to number our days? I don't know how long I have or how long any of us have. I don't know how long Canada has. Um, but we're far from you, God. So would you come? Receive this good word as we go. This week, go and make disciples and teach them your way of God. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration, comfort one another. Agree with one another and live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen.